when you think about this whole Messiah thing, right? Jesus is the Messiah. He's the the one that was promised. Um, but but is he? The, the the Jews today would say. Um, and, and doing a little research, asking any one of them, it, you've got to be careful because you can't generalize too much. I mean, ask anybody in this room um, to, to, to name off uh, things that they believe, and it's going to be just slightly different than anybody else in this room. We all have a little bit different look at things as we read the Bible, and it's a little bit different understanding. And that uniformity, or that lack of uniformity, kind of illustrates the just the reality of both the human experience and the depth of God's word. But look at the Jewish experience as a whole, and maybe they each have a little bit different perspective of who the Messiah is or what the Messiah is, what they're going to do. But, but as a whole, they kind of have a similar view today as they did back in the time when Jesus was on earth, the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests and all that. And they didn't believe he was the Messiah because... He wasn't doing the things they thought the Messiah would do. Today, they might say, well, he's not the Messiah because he didn't build the third temple after the destruction of of, uh, Herod's temple. Um, Also, he didn't gather back all the Jews into Jerusalem, and he didn't usher in an era of world peace and end all hatred and oppression and suffering and disease. Like These are things the Bible actually describes, like Isaiah 2-4 says, Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall man learn war anymore. There's this expectation that the Messiah would make the Jewish nation the the pride of the world and that uh, everybody would worship the God of the Jewish nation. Uh, Zechariah 14.9 says, God will be king over all the world. On that day, God will be one and his name will be one. And that's just looking at what Jesus did. He didn't do those things. Uh, You and I reading the Bible might look at that a little bit differently. We'd say Jesus... He fulfilled the prophecies of the Messiah in his first coming. And all these things you're talking about, they're going to happen in his second coming, right? So that's, that's where we'd go with that. Uh, but they also have some interesting thoughts about, um, well, prophets. Jesus, the Messiah, I should say, was supposed to be like the ultimate prophet. Um, and according to the Jews, they have this idea that, that when there's Jews... In Jerusalem, the majority of Jews in, in the land of Israel, then there can be prophets. Uh, but that hasn't really happened in, since the like 350 years or so before Christ time frame, um, when people like Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi were prophets. And so for them, prophecy ended with those guys. How could Jesus be a prophet if he didn't bring all the people back to Jerusalem? Uh, and, and so... I don't know, that, that particular argument sounds kind of funny to me because was Abraham wasn't a Jew. He was the grandfather of Judah. I'm no, great-grandfather of Judah. So Abraham was a prophet. He didn't live in Israel most of his life, and yet God still called him to be a prophet. And, and then there's, um, there's people like Noah and Moses, right? They're in the line, you might say, but they didn't live in Israel. So... Where did they get this idea that prophets can only be around when Jews are living in Israel? It just doesn't really make sense to me. So uh, we'll we'll just let that argument move along there. Uh, They also argue that Jesus wasn't a descendant of David on his father's side. Well, that's kind of a moot point because 
according to his story, he didn't have an earthly father. So that requirement is kind of interesting. We'll come back to that one. Uh, we'll just let that one sit for a minute. There's a, a bunch of other arguments, but um, we'll stop with this one. They say that the Messiah would need to fulfill the Torah, and Jesus didn't fulfill the Torah. In fact, he led people away from, um, from following the Torah. He was a Sabbath breaker. He, he broke the law. Uh, for example, that time when he made paste out of the, uh, the, the uh, dirt, and he put it on the guy's eyes, and he healed him, and, you know, it's a Sabbath day. How could he be a Torah observer if he breaks the Sabbath? I spent some time exploring Jesus in the Bible, um, have for a few years, and, and what I've discovered is that Jesus didn't break the law. He broke the human traditions that had been added on to the law, and he magnified the law. Uh, so I, I don't really think that this is valid, right? But the question still arises, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the one that was promised? Um, or do the Jews have it right that we are still waiting for somebody else? So I want to just do a little bit of an exploration of the Old Testament prophecies of Jesus, or of the Messiah, and see if Jesus compares. So the first... Isaiah 9.6 says this, For to us a child is born. You know, Handel's Messiah, right? Uh, beautiful music, that, and, and a lot of it was taken from Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Did you notice the dichotomy between the first part? Unto us a child is born, his name shall be called Everlasting Father. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, does it? This, is, this isn't a normal person, right? Are you everlasting? <laughs> no! You're, you're hmm, seven? Six. You're six. We know you're not everlasting because we know when you were born. How can a child be everlasting? See, this doesn't make sense unless, well, it says... Um, his name shall be called Mighty God, right? A child is God. This is a, a pretty profound idea. So this first prophecy points us to a child. We're, we're looking uh, not for a grown person. We're looking for a child when we're looking for the Messiah. Now, not just any child, because the next uh, prophecy is that this child would be born from a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14 says... When you look at these prophecies, sometimes you're like, wait, is that a prophecy of the Messiah? I, I, don't, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense. Well, the story here in Isaiah chapter 7 is that he is told by God to go to Ahaz. And Ahaz is a bad king. He's the father of Hezekiah, who ends up being a good king. But Ahaz is not a follower of God. And uh, there's, there's some problems. Israel is being, um, uh, sorry, Judah is being attacked by uh, Ephraim and... Uh, Oh, I think it's this, the Syrians. Yeah, Syria and Ephraim. And uh, they've marshaled their armies against Judah. And Isaiah is told to go to Ahaz and tell him uh, that you don't need to be afraid. In fact, this is what God tells him to say. Do not let your heart be afraid because of these two smoldering stumps. 
<laughs> they've been cut down and they're burning. Like, this is not going to be a problem. But then God invites uh, Ahaz to ask for a sign. And wouldn't it be nice if God said to you when you had a problem that you needed solving, and he said, I'm going to solve your problem, what sign would you like to see to just demonstrate that it's me that's solving this problem? Wouldn't that be nice? Guess what Ahaz says? He's like, nah. No, thank you. So Isaiah's response is, uh, goes like this. Oh, he, he even, I love how he says it. He says, the sign could be as high as heaven or as deep as the grave. Like, pick anything. I'll do whatever. And he says, no, no, thank you. And so Isaiah says, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary God also? So, the Lord himself will give you a sign. God's going to choose. And what's the sign going to be? This thing that's as high as heaven? A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name God with us. This is the same stuff as Isaiah 9, um, where it says that, that a child will be born, and you'll call him everlasting father, God with us. So, how is this child going to be born? What's the unique scenario a virgin is going to give birth. Now, some people would say, oh, this just means a young lady, right? And that's kind of how it works. Young ladies are the ones who give birth. Old, old women, that's rare. But young women, that's pretty common for young women to give birth to babies, right? But, but this particular word doesn't just mean young woman. It's used nine times in the Old Testament. Seven of those times it's used in, in a scenario where it's specifically an unmarried woman who hasn't been with a man. We're talking about a virgin. Uh, and two times it's talking about a type of music. So um, we're pretty confident that here in, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that God is saying a, 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 a young lady who hasn't been with a man, an unmarried young lady who hasn't been with a man, is going to give birth to a child. It's going to be unique. It's going to be special. It's not going to be normal. How many people do you know in, in the Bible, or really in all of the world, have had a unique birth prophesied. I, you look at Islam, no, no birth prophesied for the prophet that started Islam. What about Buddhism? No, no birth prophesied for him. Though at his birth, a guy said, this, this baby is going to leave Hinduism, and he ended up doing that. Um, but that wasn't really a birth prophesied. And, and then even in the Bible, you could look at uh, different people, like John the Baptist. But that was more like a conception announcement. Uh, you're going to have a baby in a few months. <laughs> or, or Isaac, right? Um, you're going to have a baby um, in about a year, right? These different um, birth announcements are, are given. But a prophecy that there'd be a unique birth, something different, out of the ordinary, this is only a prophecy pointing to the Messiah. And, of course, we know in Matthew 123, uh, the author of Matthew points to Jesus' birth and says Mary was uh, uh, given this, this testimony by an angel that she would have a baby and she hadn't been with a man. She wasn't married yet and uh, she says, how can this be? I've never been with a man. And he said it's uh, by the Spirit of God. And, and so he points to this very verse in Isaiah 7:14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, 
which means God with us. And then there's another prophecy about where he would be born. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says the Messiah would be born from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. This is interesting. There's going to be um, there's going to be something coming forth out of Bethlehem who has been from old. Again, this child is called Everlasting Father, God with us, right? Coming out of Bethlehem, but having been from old. And John, this is uh, John seven forty two. Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And, and this... This question is, uh, is given by a guy who's questioning that Jesus could be the Messiah. And this is when he's older. And this guy says, isn't the Messiah supposed to come from Bethlehem? He's pointing to this prophecy. Jesus can't be the Messiah because he didn't come from Bethlehem. He's a Galilean. He's from Nazareth. Little did he know that because of the census, Joseph and Mary, Nazarenes, went to Bethlehem, the place of their, their uh, ancestors, and they, they did their census there. Now, there's another prophecy about where, and it, it's uh, introduction of the Messiah by a star. Now, this story is kind of interesting. Israel was in the wilderness, and they're kind of on their way to Canaan, and they're, they're wandering around, and, and this guy Balaam, I'm sorry, Balak, he knows that everywhere Israel goes and, and they're fought, you know, the army comes against them, the army loses and Israel wins. And so he doesn't want to raise up an army to fight them, but he doesn't want them around. And so instead he hires a sorcerer to like curse them and, and make their life bad. And so this guy named Balaam, who happens to be a prophet of God, though not always a faithful one. So he's a prophet of God and he comes... Uh, and God says, you can only say what I tell you to say. And so he comes up and he starts to try to curse Israel, and out comes a blessing. And one of the things that he says in Numbers chapter 24, verse 7, Balaam says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And it must have been... Because Daniel was in Babylon and then kind of one of the top officials in Persia, that he got all these documents like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy into the Persian library. And so by the time Jesus is born, you've got these wise men living in Persia, and they're reading Numbers, and they, they, they see this interesting new phenomenon in the sky. These astronomers, philosophers, scientists, wise men, right? They're looking at the sky and they say, what's that thing over the land of Israel? That's new. And they, they remember this verse that they've read in this document that Daniel gave them. Uh, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And so they, they assume a king is born which they assumed correctly. And then they packed all their stuff and they brought kingly gifts and they, they marched or walked or whatever they did, rode all the way to Israel. And they find themselves in, in uh, the court of King Herod. 
where is the new king? Assuming that, you know, a king has a baby king, right? They're expecting a child. And where's the new king? And Herod, he gets, of course, a little bit jealous. So they, they end up finding things out. Bethlehem, of course, comes out in the prophecy. And so they, they go to Bethlehem, and there they find Jesus. Um, and it's Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Unfortunately, their story leads kind of to the next prophecy, uh, mourning for the children. Because Herod... snuff out any competition. And so the wise men end up getting an angelic warning, don't go back by the way that you came, and so they flee. And then Joseph and Mary also get this warning and they leave. Um, But Herod sends his soldiers and they kill every child, every male child below the age of two, um, based on some timeline that he understood. The Bible predicted that this morning would happen. In Jeremiah 31 it says, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, a lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now this is an interesting story, and you wonder why this would apply to the Messiah. The promise that Jeremiah is giving is that the people that God has allowed to go into exile in Babylon are going to come back. He says, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. And he talks about young women dancing and it being just a wonderful experience. They're going to come back to the land of Israel. And yet, in that context, it describes Rachel weeping for her children. Now, Ramah is the place where Rachel was buried. Rachel is Jacob's favorite um, favorite wife. And, and he buries her in Ramah. And somehow in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is talking about her weeping for her children. And this is, of course, a... It is a metaphor of Israel. Um, the, the, the mother in Israel is weeping, and, and the mother of the children of Israel are weeping because of this great atrocity that's been done. But it's in the context of rejoicing, right? And what happens at Jesus' birth? There's angels that are singing, and there's, there's shepherds that are, are, are rejoicing and dancing and coming to, to give their gifts to Jesus. There's uh, these foreign dignitaries that are coming uh, to worship at Jesus' feet. And, and in this context of great rejoicing, the Bible predicts mourning. Before Herod killed the, the, these children, Joseph and Mary were warned. And so they We don't really have all those details in the New Testament, but what we do know is that it fulfilled a prophecy. In uh, Matthew 2, 14 to 15, it says, And Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. But in Hosea 11, 1, the Bible had predicted hundreds of years before, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And this text wasn't looking back at, e- at Israel's um, exit from Egypt. It was looking forward to the Messiah. And when it says, Israel is my son, it's looking at the Messiah, uh, who would take the place of Israel in prophecy. And um, so you've got this, this uh, uh, 
child who comes out of Egypt, and then where does he go after he comes back from Egypt? He ends up back in the native home of Mary and Joseph, the land of Nazareth, or the city of Nazareth. And if you look in Isaiah, he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And if you do a little bit of research, you'll find that this doesn't appear anywhere in the Old Testament. There's like, not a prophecy, but, but you're like, Matthew, you said that it might be fulfilled, what the prophets had said. And, and if you think about this a little bit and do some study, it actually becomes really cool. Because in Isaiah 11 and Jeremiah 23 and 33 and Zechariah 3 and 6, it, the Messiah is called the righteous branch. And uh, in one place it says that uh, he's going to come up like a branch from the stump of Jesse. There's something about the Messiah and branch. And, and you know what the word Nazareth means? Nazareth comes from a Hebrew root word, netzer, which means branch or shoot. Like, like the shoot that comes up from a stump of a tree that's been cut down. Have you ever seen that? Like stumps cut down, shoots are coming up from all around it. That's netzer. And, and netzer is where you get the word Nazareth. And so the righteous branch comes from Nazareth, Netzer, the, 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 the city of the branch. And interestingly, in John 1, 46, Nathaniel asks a question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And of course, we find so many prophecies in the Old Testament that point to the Messiah as one who would not be accepted. Like, for instance, Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and was esteemed, and we esteemed him not. This idea that the Messiah was not going to be accepted was uh, maybe not something that the Jews recognized, but it was clearly in prophecy. And here, even in the name Nazareth, we have this culture. The righteous branch comes from there, but... Could anything good come from Nazareth? This doubt that Israel already had built in. Uh, in Matthew chapter 1, we find he's trying to point to the prophecies that Jesus would be, or the Messiah would be, the um, ancestor, or the descendant, the descendant of David. David would be his ancestor. And so he traces the lineage of Jesus all the way to Daniel and to and all the way back to Abraham. And, and this uh, line of thinking is so, supposed to prove that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. In Matthew 1.15, it goes like this. Um, Eliud, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Now, if you look at Luke chapter 3, you'll find a similar genealogy. And the genealogies have puzzled a lot of people. Because they're different. If you go through from David down to Joseph in Matthew, it's a completely different list than in Luke from David down to Joseph. And some people have suggested, well, this is, um, this is uh, Joseph's lineage in Matthew and Mary's lineage in Luke. And the reason it says Joseph the son of Heli in Luke is because it was Joseph, the son-in-law of Heli. It's really, Heli is, is Mary's father. Eh, we don't really have any 
textual evidence for that, but that's one theory. And another theory is that these are just theological ideas, and they're not actually supposed to prove a point. Um, they're just to show kind of that all these different people were somehow in the line of the, the, the Messiah. And uh, that makes it easier. Uh, I have uh, something that probably isn't uh, widely accepted that I kind of like the idea of. It doesn't have to be this, but it's kind of interesting. Read that verse again in Matthew 1, 15 and 16, where it says, Matha and the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Notice that in this genealogy, it ends with Mary, of whom Jesus was born. In Luke, it says, Joseph, who is called the father of Jesus, because, you know, he's an adopted father. But in, in Matthew, it says, Mary, who is the mother of Jesus. The focus is on Mary here. And then if you just go back one, um, Joseph, the husband of Mary, that word husband in Greek, um, just andros. It, it literally, if you were to translate it literally, would be Joseph, the man of Mary. Now, um, Yvonne, um, who is your man? <laughs> James is your man, okay? Um, if I were to ask you ladies who your man is, if you're married um, or, or dating, you might, you might uh, point to your man as, as the one that you're married to, right? Uh, but if you're not married, then who's your man? Who's the man in your life? It's generally your dad, right? So, so when it says, Joseph, the man of Mary, it could also mean Joseph, the father of Mary. No, it doesn't need to, and it's not widely accepted. But it's interesting to think about the genealogy of Jesus through Mary, going back to David, and through Joseph, going back to David. And yet, uh, Jesus makes an interesting argument. All those Jews who say Jesus wasn't a child of David through his father's lineage, uh, Jesus would say this, because there was this guy who, who had a problem um, with uh, Jesus and, uh, and Jesus pointing to all these prophecies. Um, well, like, for instance, uh, Isaiah 11.1, 1, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And um, Jeremiah 23, uh, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He shall reign as king and deal wisely. And um, You can go back to Judah in Genesis 49. You can go back to Isaac, to Abraham. You could go back all the way to Adam that this promise would come, right? But David is kind of the big guy in the Jewish culture. And so this guy has a problem with Jesus, and he's like, how could you be the Messiah? You don't go back to David. And, and Jesus, he makes an interesting argument in Matthew 22. He said, if, if the Messiah is going to come from David, how is it that David says about the Messiah, uh, he calls him Lord? How is it that David calls the Messiah Lord if he's the son of David? And it, he quotes Psalms where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So Jesus asked the question, if then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And, and when you think about it, if Jesus is the righteous branch, the shoot that comes from David, right? Uh, if, he's the, if that's the Messiah, but the Messiah is the everlasting God, isn't that the everlasting father, uh, rather? 
doesn't that mean that the Messiah would also be the one who created Adam? Right? Luke makes this point in his genealogy. And he goes all the way back, not to Abraham like Matthew does, but he goes all the way back to Adam. And he, and he says it like this. Adam, the, sorry, the son of Seth, so, so this is Jesus was the son of Joseph, the son of etc. The son of Seth, the son of Adam, and then it says Adam, the son of God. The, the point here is that God is the father of David, and if the Messiah is a shoot from the stump of Jesse, where did Jesse get his root from? All the way back to God, right? The Messiah isn't, doesn't have to be David's son in order to be the Messiah, although he is, proves it there. Um, the Messiah, it, it comes from the same line because he's the creator. That's Jesus' point. Now, there's lots of prophecies about Jesus' ministry, um, and uh, we could point to all kinds of interesting things that the Bible In Zechariah 9, he would be he would be betrayed by a friend in Psalm 41 9. Um, the betrayal would be for specifically 30 pieces of silver um, in Zechariah 11:12. That money would be used to buy a potter's field in Zechariah 11:13. The Messiah would die a sacrificial death for us. You can find that in Daniel 9:26 and Isaiah 53:8. He would die with criminals, but his burial would be with the wealthy. Um, in Isaiah 53, 9. He would rise from the dead, um, Psalm 16, 8 through 11, and Isaiah 53, 10. He would say certain words on the cross, you can find in Psalm chapter 22, and that he would be mocked and that people would gamble for his clothes. All can be found there in Psalm 22. Now, for Jesus to fulfill even a, a handful of these prophecies uh, would be a statistical feat. one of them. Now, a statistician and a teacher at um, a university, uh, Westmont College, attempted to calculate the probability of one person fulfilling eight of these prophecies. And he had his students in this particular class over a 12-year period, um, about 600 university students altogether, evaluated these things. And they came up with some probabilities. And they, they argued about it and, and, and made their, their suggestions more conservative and until everybody in the class was satisfied that this was a, a good probability. And then the teacher himself looked at that and he made it even more conservative. And then he got some people that weren't, weren't even Christians involved and they made it even more conservative. And so the number they came to, they felt like they could be really confident in. So the probability of one person um, accomplishing even eight of these prophecies is uh, 10, one in 10 to the 17. That means uh, 10 with 17 zeros after it. So we, we have to visualize this. Um, if you were to take a piece of paper and you put an X, put an X on that piece of paper, fold it up, uh, fold up 10 identical pieces of paper without X's on them, or nine additional pieces of paper, put them all those 10 pieces of paper in a basket, blindfold somebody and say, pick the, the piece of paper with an X on it out of these 10. The probability of him picking the one with an X would be one in 10. Right? So take that same scenario, blindfolded guy, um, one, let's say a silver dollar, um, put a, an X on that silver dollar and put it in a pile with, uh, of other silver dollars, 10 to the power of 17. 
right? That amount of civil dollars would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. Take that blindfolded man, put him in the middle of Texas, say travel as far as you want, take as long as you want, um, and the first time you reach down, pick up that silver dollar with an X on it. The probability that he'd be able to do that is 1 in 10 to the 17. That's what it would be for Jesus to fulfill just eight, for one man to fulfill just eight of these prophecies from the time of the prophets to our time today. And Jesus fulfilled over 300 of them. That's pretty impressive. Like, think about it just as a matter of an intellectual exercise. If Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies, must shouldn't shouldn't he be the Messiah? Surely he's the Messiah. But I don't think that Jesus wants us to just look at this from a statistical perspective or just an intellectual exercise. Oh wow, yeah, Jesus is the the Messiah. That's cool. Um, God wants us to engage with Jesus on a whole different level. The Jews today they say Jesus didn't fulfill prophecies. He's uh, he's a fraud. But there's a whole other group of people today that look at Jesus and say, even if he was a historical figure, it doesn't really matter. He was just, you know, this uh, charismatic religious leader. And that's, that's that. C.S. Lewis challenged us when, he, when we look at Jesus. He says, you can't just look at him and say, he's a good guy. Nice that he came, you know, nice that he was on earth. He's a good man. He said it this way. A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. And, and this is what looking at the prophecies of the Messiah and, and realizing that Jesus fulfilled these in his birth and his life This is what that reality faces you and me with. We have to decide, what will we do with Jesus? What will we do? I believe that um, when I look at the context of every one of these prophecies, It points me to the reality that God wants to be with us. He wants to reunite with us. He wants a relationship with us. And if you'd give me the opportunity to be a little bit free with John 3.16, I'd like to contextualize it a bit. You see, God came to earth because he loves you and me. For God so loved you that he gave his only son, so that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. What will you do with Jesus? He's called Emmanuel. He's called God with us. He's not an impersonal God that's out there somewhere. He is present with us. And Jesus promised that he'd send us the Holy Spirit. And he he said, I will be with you. And if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then the logical thing for you and I to do is to bow our knee before God, before Jesus, and worship him. This Christmas, Jesus is standing at your door. He's he's not the UPS guy with your Christmas packages. 
and he's not the strange relative that you wish didn't show up at Christmas time. He is your God, and even more intimately and excitingly, he is your Father. He's the one who made you, and he loves you with an infinite love. And he just says, would you let me into your house? Would you let me into your heart this Christmas? What will you do with Jesus this Christmas holiday? Let's stand together and sing our closing hymn. Number 115, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel.